0: Welcome to Inside the Cubers Workshop, a show about Cube and the people that play it. I'm your host, Brian Miller. With me today is longtime magic player and actual wizard on the internet, Patrick Buckley.
1: Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here on the show and uh, talk about some Cube. Excellent, excellent. Um, since this is our
0: first show, um, I figure I'll take a moment to talk a little bit about me, where I come from, and the show itself before diving into our topics. Sounds good. My name is Brian Miller. I started playing Magic in high school in the late 90s, uh, took a 10-year break, started playing again in 2009 when Magic 2010 came out. Uh, I became a level one judge and started playing cube while I was living in Maryland, and I moved back to my home state of Virginia just over a year ago. Uh, The Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area has a very popular magic scene and it's been a great area for playing in local and regional events and meeting players of all kinds. In the past few years, with a lot of community support and the introduction of an official MTGO online cube, the cube format has rapidly grown in popularity. Uh, There's a lot of people in the community with a wealth of knowledge about cube and a lot of people with varied backgrounds and experiences playing so I thought it would be neat to get more people in the online community to spread their ideas and fun experiences to everyone else, you know, using a podcast format. There's been some popular podcasts already, and, you know, I owe them a great deal of gratitude for kind of getting that off the ground and figuring out, you know, what I wanted to do when I started this this show here. So each show, I will have a member of the Magic community on with me in a sort of a spotlight interview about my about them and a topic discussion format with them usually about a topic that that person is familiar with uh, we might also discuss newly printed cards or some current events particularly if they affect people that play cube recently we had uh, battle for zendikar and oath of the gatewatch introduced you know colorless mana costs and things like that so th- those are some things that would definitely affect cube Hopefully we'll have enough to talk about a topic that we get tired of it after about an hour, and then we'll close the show. Since the show is heavily inspired by the popular Inside the Actors Studio interview show, I'll also ask my interviewee a series of 10 questions about Cube, inspired by those asked by James Lipton, the host of that show. So with that out of the way, let us get started. Today's topic will be about Pat's Rise of the Eldrazi-themed cube and his one-on-one vintage combo cube. So,
1: who are you, Pat? Uh, How are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, Basically, my magic background is that in 2002, I believe, a good friend of mine was playing magic cards in the the cafeteria. I said, I don't want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore. This looks way cooler. Yu-Gi-Oh! is just not the game for me. This game has wizards and lizards, turns out. (laughs) My first cards that I got were some Torment cards. Baskin Rewala being one of them. Quickly fell in love with the game. And played it mostly casually, a little bit of competitive along the way. Until about 2009 or so, when I really, really dug into competitive magic. I found out about Cube from, I believe, an SCG article... And uh, that's when I started thinking about, maybe I want to own my own cube someday. And I always thought about the good stuff cubes that you see a lot of, Magic Online cubes, very generic, I'll say. Mm -hmm. And that really was my thing. I prefer themed cubes, where you really get to experience a certain slice of magic.
0: Right, and you're you're kind of limited by restrictions that you impose upon yourself when designing that cube.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I found out early on with those restrictions that if you hold yourself to them too strictly, you end up creating a boring cube. You need to be willing to be flexible. The restrictions can breed creativity, but at a certain point, they they limit you too much.
0: Yeah, I've definitely found that to be the case when I was kind of spitballing ideas for myself and just kind of like grabbing cards and putting them into into a box when I was thinking about some cube ideas that I had in the past. Yeah, you definitely have to use those restrictions, but realize when they're a little bit too restrictive... When you got into competitive magic, that was around the same time I got back into the game, Uh, what formats did you end up playing the most?
1: Uh, I mostly played standard because that's what local events were. I would play in regionals, PTQs. At the time, I was living in Colorado, so I had to go up to Denver for every event for the most part, Mm -hmm. and I got to meet some really good players in that process, met some players that you might know of, like Dave Meeson. I was beat up by Comedy Woods a few times in PTQs.
0: Well, that should be fun.
1: <laughs> but basically standard, um, I I, I drafted quite a bit, but I was never really good at it until, I'd say, Rise of the Eldrazi, actually. <laughs> okay. I never really bothered to get good at a format until then.
0: Was Were you just kind of drawn to that format because it was so different from the other magic sets at the time?
1: A lot of it was that I really liked the dynamic of the set of the small creatures that are trying to fight the big creatures. So it was almost a flavor thing that drew me into it originally. Mm-hmm. But then once I started playing it, I realized that this format is really good. There's a lot of different archetypes you can draft, or you can just draft good creature decks, or you can draft good ramp decks, or the control decks that were three or four colors if you got enough prophetic prisms and evolving wilds. Basically, I got really good at that format because there was so much to do in it that I couldn't stop playing it. Okay. How many times do you think you drafted it? I want to say close to 200. That's quite a lot. <laughs> a good amount on Magic Online and two to three drafts a week in person.
0: Yeah, that was a great set. I, I drafted a lot of that one too when previously, you know, the the other sets before that, Zendikar and, and Worldwake, I was still kind of getting into drafting, but Rise of the Eldrazi was one that definitely showed me that it was different in a good way, I think. They really experimented with changing how players were used to playing traditional limited did that kind of lead you into the cube idea like thinking that that's the sort of game that you want to be playing in the future with you know just a cube in general or was it more that you wanted to play more of just a set like that or a cube in general
1: I think what drew me to the Rise of the Eldrazi cube was that I really wanted to experience that format again, uh, and again and again and again. But it's very hard to get packs of that set, and I thought I can kind of customize the experience to my liking, because there were a few things in the format I wasn't thrilled about. Uh, so I could kind of cut those things, add more things that I did like, and really get that experience of Rise of the Eldrazi again and again.
0: Okay. Do you tend to uh, draft the same deck, or do you like the fact that you could probably draft one deck one day, and one deck the next day, and another deck the third day?
1: Uh, I do have preferences, for sure. I like Raid Bombardment a lot. I like Summoning Trap a lot. But all in all, I found that designing the cube and forcing myself to draft other decks to try things, I'm sort of getting that, that real draft experience again, where sometimes your deck isn't open, And you have to draft the weird blue-white Flyers deck that didn't quite get enough Flyers. Mm -hmm. Or the black-red Sacrifice deck. Uh, So I have my preferences, but because I'm trying to improve the cube as I go, I'm sort of forced myself to try decks that I hadn't even tried the first time around. And I drafted this out a lot.
0: (laughs) So yeah, when you don't get that deck, you you have to play a deck that might have some crazy interaction you've never even played before. Mm -hmm. Instead of forcing one of those tried-and-true archetypes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: For example, well, the first time around in my 200 drafts, I never got the Sphinx Bone Wand deck. But in my cube.
0: Oh really? I got I got owned by that when I
1: <laughs> when I was playing
0: the draft format. <laughs> that card, if it lands and it stays, it just completely dominates the game. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. And then um, in the cube, I, I first picked the Sphinx Bone Wand. Later on, I got the Cast Through Time. Oh. And I had Surreal Memoir, I believe is the name of the card. I had a Forked Bolt, Vendetta. I had a bunch of removal spells. I was Grixis Control with these two 7-mana bombs. <laughs> they were awesome cards that I never really got to play in the real draft format. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, I've actually played with your cube before, so I've I've seen what you've done with it, and you know, I gave you some of the cards you needed here and there, but... you <laughs> you the you have... Temples. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for those. <laughs> uh... But you added some some cards from the original Zendikar and Road Lake, didn't you? Yeah. To kind of smooth out uh, some things that might be missing from from the cube otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm. There were a few archetypes that were sort of in Rise of the Eldrazi, but never really fleshed out, because there are more cards for standard, right? You have your vampires with sacrifice things. Like you have Pawn of Ulamog that wants you to sacrifice creatures, but then you don't have... Really good sacrifice outlet, like Bloodthrown Vampire, which, while it was not in Zendikar block, fits the theme well enough that I put it in.
0: Oh, okay, so you've expanded even beyond Zendikar block a little bit. Yeah,
1: just a few things. Okay. But things like Bloodthrown Vampire, Clostria Highworn's another great example of a card that was in Worldwake that synergizes really well with some of the sacrifice stuff you have going on. Mortician Beetle obviously plays well with those sort of things. Okay. I think the Black-Red Sacrifice deck is the one that gets the most out of adding back in Zendikar.
0: It gives it a little bit more dimension than just trying to be the bad leveler deck?
1: Sort of, yeah. (laughs) You become less of an Eldrazi token deck, and more of a sacrifice-based deck that just happens to have these Eldrazi tokens.
0: That want to be sacrificed.
1: Exactly. Okay,
0: yeah. That seems like it adds a good dimension to what is already a good set without kind of diminishing
1: what it's doing already. Also, Landfall is a mechanic that I, I really truly like. I'm, I'm hoping it becomes Evergreen officially soon.
0: That'd be really good. I, I think it's a good mechanic that, I mean, it's easy for people to learn and balanced the right way. It's it's definitely not too overbearing in one direction over or another con- concerning like tempo swings and stuff like that. I know some people kind of complain about how once you're winning, you just keep winning with an effect like, you know, pump your team up or whatever, but I think the way that they fix that is with the costs.
1: For sure, and especially looking at Battle for Zendikar, there's no cards like Step Links.
0: Yeah, they definitely toned it down. Everything's getting like plus one, plus one, or if it's plus two, plus two. The the original card is a little overcosted for its vanilla yeah. you know, status. So speaking of Battle for Zendikar and Earth of the Gatewatch, you know, are there any cards that you've been considering adding? Or are you do you think that you're going to expand it into a a fuller block or super block cube?
1: I'm definitely thinking about super block cube. Yeah? The idea of just a Rise of the Eldrazi cube originally was fine and fun, but I really do find it's hard to balance it with just cards from Rise of the Eldrazi and just a few from other sets. At this point, it's almost just going to become a fight the Eldrazi cube. (laughs) Uh, Because you have both blocks plus a few things outside of the blocks that are directly Zendikar related. Uh Perilous Vault might be coming in, because there's a Hedron in the artwork, and it's thematically fitting. And it's also kind of a really cool sweeper. It's Mm -hmm. better than just just like a Day of Judgment, for example, because any deck can play it, and it exiles, which is relevant. Mm -hmm. But you get to sort of build the theme without cards from just Rise of the Eldrazi. Uh, Allies are expanded, obviously. I can play some of the more powerful ones from original Zendikar, but also some of the more balanced ones from Battle for Zendikar. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. And there's some some other cards in Origins, right, that are Zendikar themed, like the there's like a, a green red creature that cares about the number of lands you have. Yeah. Stuff like that you could consider.
1: Yeah.
0: Outside of the block. So has anything in particular stand out for that cube? Like is the colorless mana going to be a big impact?
1: Yeah, I'm actually working on getting 30 or so wastes to put in my basic land box.
0: Okay, so you plan on like letting people just take basic lands, the wastes as basic yeah. lands, okay, yeah. and they won't have to draft them like they do in the the draft format.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I don't really like the idea of having to draft basic lands.
0: Yeah, it's a little awkward. I mean, they're it's it's almost like they're non basics in in terms of deck construction, right? Yeah. So I can see why people would want to to maybe consider doing that, or or in in traditional cubes that we're just going to use like the existing non-basics that produce colorless and maybe we'll throw in pain lands instead of some other lands to, to help create a, a land base that is supportive of the colorless mana. But I can see where doing it for a cube that is much smaller, has a smaller pool of cards to, to pull from, you might want to just support it naturally without having players having to worry about
1: it. Yeah, I, re- I really don't want players to have to think, okay, do I take this card for my deck? Or I take a basic land that doesn't have any effect besides producing the color mana I need. Right. Um, I really want there to be a certain ease to drafting the Eldrazi deck if you really want to draft it.
0: Okay. I mean, I, I've only drafted the the recent sets a, a couple times. And the decisions are interesting when you have to decide between taking a waste or, or taking a, a good card for your deck. But I think you might be on the right track with something where it's not as small as just battle on Oath block where other things are going to matter more as well and and your card quality is going to be a lot higher. Mm -hmm. So maybe a basic land isn't what you want to be taking out of a pack.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, Waste brings me to another point in that the original builds of Rise of the Eldrazi cube had one of each of these Zendikar lands in them. I'm actually going to be cutting those and playing ten Evolving Wilds in the cube. Oh, neat. That way you have a bunch of lands to enable landfall but they can find your waste if you want to. And they're also a little less good.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, set, fetch plants are quite good. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll that'll put a little bit of a bump in the format pace.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Is there anything about the cube that you would like to talk about, other than what I've asked you already?
1: There are a couple of things that are going to be notable exclusions. I think Emrakul the Torn cannot be in the cube.
0: Is it just uncastable?
1: It's actually the opposite. Oh, really? If your deck has Emrakul in it, you can sort of play an inevitable long game and just put it into play on turn 8 or 9 off of a few ramp spells, some Eldrazi tokens. Um, And it's just too hard to beat a lot of the time. Also, Summoning Trap will be getting cut from the cube.
0: Aww, and you like that card.
1: I adore Summoning Trap. (laughs) But I've put one too many turn 4 Emrakuls or Ulamogs into play with it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so all the other titans are fair game
1: uh correct there's only gonna be one of each though so i'm playing the new lamog and the old kozilek
0: the old kozilek what did he do like he uh drew ca- like four cards
1: Yep, drew four cards upon casting uh 12 12 annihilator 4 for 10 i believe
0: so you think that that's better than the infinitely protectable new kozilek that just counter everything for free
1: the new Coslik I think is isn't good enough, interestingly. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you get to draw up to seven. That is true. <laughs> like, the the new Coslik is very good, but Annihilator is yeah. also a really powerful mechanic.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely very powerful.
1: And also the new Coslik you have issues where the games are where it's good and you draw the perfect converted mana cost of spells to counter your opponent's stuff, it's fantastic. It feels great. But sometimes in in your ramp deck, you draw a bunch of six drops and like a two drop, and then they play a one mana removal spell on it. Oh, okay. At least it's some pretty big feel bads, and I, I, I'm not generally against feel bads, but that's one of those ones that you cast your all drops to Titan, you don't win.
0: Okay, so you're you're going with the the idea that because of the the way that the deck that could cast that card is constructed, it's not going to be good against the other traditional cards and other decks that are playing their their one, two, three, and four drops. And they're not going to have, like, those high-end costs that are actually going to counter their spells.
1: Exactly. Your Undue Giant in hand isn't going to counter their Drain to Nowhere or their oust.
0: Okay. I have to kind of remember that the removal in those original sets was a little bit better than what we're getting nowadays. You know, you're getting, like, one and two mana removal, which is completely unheard of these days when you're talking about just kill-anything removal.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. One other note about the cube. I have eroded all cards that say Eldrazi Scion or Eldrazi Spawn to say Eldrazi Token. Okay. So Brood Warden, for example, says all Eldrazi Tokens get plus two, plus one.
0: Okay, so it makes a lot of those cards a lot better.
1: Yeah, that is definitely the case. Wow. It's one of those things that I'm trying out. I'm not sure if it's too good, but I feel like it makes the cards more cohesive.
0: It, it definitely makes it a little easier to grok when you're mixing the cards from the two blocks. That way, you don't have cards that only care about one or the other type, and you, they don't really synergize with the other cards where they would in the original sets. Yeah, right.
1: The most adorable note about that is that Desolation Twin tokens are affected.
0: <laughs> so you're not. So it's not just a, scions in reference in a card are, are saying scions and and. Uh, Spawns. It's actually just all Eldrazi
1: tokens. (laughs) Yeah. The only relevant card in terms of other than spawns is Desolation Twin. And I'm willing to have that silly interaction be there because it's just that. It's silly. (laughs) It's fun and that's what Cube's all about, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Is there anything that gives a token haste, maybe? You play your twin and just attack with it the same turn? That would be pretty fun. (laughs) That is a good question.
1: I don't believe that there is currently.
0: All right. Well, that sounds like a pretty good uh, project you got going on, and hopefully we'll get a chance to draft it pretty soon. I guess you don't have all of the cards for it yet. So the set just came out.
1: Yeah, I don't have many of the Battle for Zendikar stuff either. I've kind of been holding out on getting all of it at once. Oh, okay.
0: Were you thinking about putting any uh, manlands from the blocks in the in the cube?
1: Uh, I think I'm gonna put all ten in. And obviously there is a disparity in power level between your Celestial Colonnades and your Needle Spires of the world. Mm -hmm. But I think it just needs more mana fixers. Okay. And the blue-white decks, honestly, I'm okay with them being a little more powerful than the blue-black decks. The green mainlands are some of the weaker ones overall. Yeah. The ramp decks really don't need as good of manlands. So I'm okay with the blue, white, black, and red decks getting slightly better ones.
0: That seems fair. I'm also wondering whether maybe... Because all of the ramp decks are going to be primarily green based, that that maybe um, the other decks kind of need those manlands in order to compete a little bit. Yeah. Like give them a kind of another avenue for inevitability that the that they wouldn't normally have if they're just playing like all these small white creatures. Exactly. So you also have a one-on-one vintage combo cube, and. I think I had a little bit of a hand in this one. A friend of mine from Maryland uh, built one, and I had him post the list online so I could pass it along to you. Uh, it's a ton of fun. Tell us why one might want to build their own combo cube.
1: Mine's desire for 15. Oh! <laughs> cast Ancestral Recall. In response to Ancestral Recall, cast an Ocean Thief. <laughs> Those are just some of the sweet plays you can make. Um, right. The <laughs> combo cube is 96 cards of the most broken cards in Magic. I don't mean broken that people say, Thought Not Seer is broken, because it's pretty good. It's a solid midrange creature. I'm talking Black Lotus, Yawgmoth's Bargain, Yawgmoth's Will.
0: And your deck is just full of them. Exactly. Yeah. It's not It's not like you're playing Lightning, Bolt, and Goblin Guide alongside of, oh, I'll do that with my turn one Mountain and Mox. It's, I'm going to turn one, play like five
1: permanents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turn one kills can happen in it. It's very swingy. But a cool thing about it is that it's one-on-one. And there are two ways that I've drafted it so far. Eight-pack Rochester, I believe is the term. Sorry, eight-card Rochester packs. Where whoever picks first plays second. The nice thing about that is because it's one on one and you draft the entire cube every time, you can hate draft extremely well in it. If you know that your opponent doesn't have a storm wind condition and there's a tendrils in the path, well, you know, you can have that mana Crypt, but I'm taking your wind condition. Ooh,
0: yeah. Yeah, perfect information drafts are very interesting and sometimes they'll take just as long as playing out the match.
1: For sure. The drafting does take a very long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's half of the fun of cube anyways, just drafting,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other way we draft it is Factor Fiction Draft, where you have to remove one card from the cube. Usually I remove pure through-depths, because so it's the least impactful card. Okay. So it's an even number of fives. And then you flip over five cards, split it into two piles, and the other player takes one of the two piles, and you get the remainder. Okay. It sort of forces even more decisions in drafting, because you have to consider, well, what does my opponent want to take here, versus what do I want to get? Mm -hmm. 4-1 splits are extremely difficult, because if you do too many of them your opponent takes the 4 cards, you can end up with not enough playables.
0: Right, and they just have more versatility in the rest of the draft to take something that synergizes with those 8 cards that they just took.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, you like drafting it, and uh, which way better?
1: I prefer the 8-card rotisserie. Factor Fiction drafts can lead to weaker decks overall, and that's not the point of this cube.
0: Yeah, you kind of want two evenly matched, very fast decks, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Alternatively, you can play the deck with all the disruption and creatures like Thada Adele and Notion Thief.
0: So is that that the primary way that it keeps the format from devolving into a solitaire sort of exercise?
1: Uh, That and drafting. Okay. Because you can force your opponent off of having the busted combo deck by just taking their card. Mm Mm-hmm. That kind of prevents it from being full-on solitaire, but there's also ten interaction cards out of the 96, three of which are creatures, but those cards kind of, I guess the opponent can't just kill you on turn two if you have one of them, and the games get a little bit longer.
0: What what would be an example of some of those cards? Like Flusterstorm, I imagine, is a good one that might be in there.
1: Uh, Flusterstorm's actually not in because it's too good at disrupting. okay. Uh, we have Spell Pierce, Mana Drain, Red Elemental Blast, Notion Thief, Vada Dallas as I mentioned, uh, Duress, Cabal Therapy. And Cabal Therapy is especially fun in the Perfect Information draft.
0: <laughs> you don't really know what the, what's in their hand, but you can you have a really good guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have things like Tormod's Crypt, uh, Relic of Progenitus, I believe, is in their spell. So you have they're they're all marginal interaction things they're not big bomby you know knockout cards but they buy you just enough time so you can maybe set up your combo
0: okay with the the cost being well that's a card in your own deck that you might have needed to combo off with
1: Mm -hmm. that's actually why it's red elemental blast over pyroblast is because you can't just play red elemental blast for storm without a target
0: (laughs) i like that what are some good stories from this cube do you have any good stories? I'm pretty sure you have at least one.
1: Well, the one I can think of off the top of my head is the time when a channel Emrakul happened. Mm-hmm. And then the player who did the channel Emrakul lost. How did they lose? So they turn one played a, a land, and a Mox Emerald channeled into Emrakul, paying 15 life and pass Or att- passed to their next turn, attacked, and then passed over for real. Okay. Their hand was fairly poor, if I remember correctly, other than that. I untapped. I proceeded to play every card in my hand and then play all the cards in my graveyard and play all the cards in my deck and then grave shot them for 30-something because I could. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's, let's not storm to only five. <laughs> uh, another one was a Platinum Angel keeping a player alive at negative 50-something life for four turns while it beat down. There was a Wheel of Fortune that was met with a, an Ocean Thief, which was always fun.
0: Oh, that would be very good. Yeah, I'll draw fourteen. Thanks. Yeah. I I think the best story I've heard from it is the ad nauseum. I I think somebody was just like they they had so much life to work with, and you know they had very little uh mana cost within their deck, and you know they proceeded to ad nauseum, and they just couldn't get to the one card that they needed, and they they decked themselves or something.
1: I do remember. Uh, I think it was actually a Spoils of the Vault for a card not in their deck. Oh, it wasn't even in their deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their, their total converted mana cost of, I think this was Derek, total converted mana cost of his deck was 16 or something, because he got, I think, six pieces of zero mana power. Uh, the picks were not in my favor in that draft. Oof. But he he Spoils of the Vaulted for a card that was not in his deck, because it turns out I hate-drafted it, and he just forgot it wasn't in his deck.
0: <laughs> Remembering the perfect information is key, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I'm sure he's not happy about me telling that story. That's okay. <laughs> to be fair, in this format, things so many things are happening at once. It's easy to lose track, because you're trying to keep track of perfect information of 43 cards that your opponent has, or something like 50, 53, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't do math. I do enough math counting storm. <laughs> Yeah, you're counting all of your mana.
0: You're counting storm all the time, if if that's your deck. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot to keep track of, and the amount of tutor effects that you have in a cube like that, you know, you have to remember what you can actually get, what how much mana you're spending for them, mm-hmm. very quickly in a game. You know, you're you're building your own storm style deck that's on the quality of a legacy or vintage or a mishmash of them, and you kind of have to playing your your whole turn at the beginning of your turn and then actually uh, perform it correctly. And then you realize halfway through, oh shit, I've missed a red mana. (laughs) I just lose now because I spent all of these cards getting
1: to what I thought I needed. (laughs) I have miscounted mana more times than I'd like to admit, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, There was another great play, this is just one that I have to throw out there, it was two Spirit Guides into a Mana into a Mana Drain. Okay. <laughs> so Simeon and Malvish Spirit Guide get pitched to play a Mana, uh-huh. mana
0: into okay. a Mana Drain. What did they Mana Drain?
1: Uh, I think it was either a Yogmoth's Bargain or a Dark Petition.
0: Oh, okay. You got a decent bit of mana off that, then.
1: Yeah, it was the critical card, too, because it was the last card they opponent played to play while storming off. Yeah, well, then, then they're just going to lose after
0: that, I assume. Yeah. What is the, uh, the best deck in the cube? Like, if you could build anything you wanted out of that draft, what would you want every time?
1: Storm is the best if you get the power for it. And obviously power is very hard to get in this because you see it, you're probably gonna snap it up immediately. Right. But I'd say the best, the best deck is Storm if you get the, the power for it. But otherwise, I think the best deck that's not hinging on you getting ridiculously lucky is probably just the blue tempo deck. You get to play Thought Adele, who is excellent, by the way. Uh, something we forgot to mention is that when you add basic lands to your deck at the end of the draft, they are all Utopias that tap for all colors and have all land types.
0: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, we did forget to mention that. Yeah, Yeah, that that makes sure that you can cast anything you need to,
1: generally. Yeah. You're
0: still going to have issues, because half of your mana base is going to be you know, Moxin and Black Lotus and Lotus Petal and things like that, so you, you can definitely run out of the right colors that you need.
1: Tularean Academy has limitations in the cube
0: yeah it only produces blue or a lot of rituals only make red or black mana exactly yeah
1: uh, a card that i've considered adding is an eroded version of world that says uh mana you control can be spent as though it were mana of any color if you play all cards in your pool okay. so your academy would be tap for a combination of x colors of mana
0: okay that's that's pretty sweet
1: that's not one i've experimented with yet
0: how many uh how many cards do people normally play within the cube Is it still forty or or do you end up needing a few here or there just because of the the amount of redundancy that you need
1: because of your tutors so we pretty much always have forty card decks in this cube okay but because we're only playing six or seven basic lands mm-hmm. we already play with a good chunk of your pool okay so going to a broad
0: format like you, you're not really losing that much you you'll go up to like a 50 card deck or something like that.
1: Yeah. The problem, though, is that when you have a 50-card deck, you're playing cards like Sign and Blood that are on the bottom tier of cards in the cube. Oh, yeah. And those cards really don't directly contribute to your combo, so it really depends on well, how bad is my chaff compared to how much do I care about having perfect mana. Okay. There's a lot of reasons why the world might not work out in the end, mm-hmm. but it's something I have on my radar and I'd like to try at some point.
0: Right. It it just might not end up being good enough. Yeah. I guess I'll ask the same question uh, about this cube that I did the Eldrazi cube, you know. Since, even though it doesn't change very often with new sets, you know, what cards might you be looking at from the most recent sets to put into the cube?
1: Um, I think the Gatewatch has a few that I'm very interested in adding, interestingly. Oh, a few? Yeah. Because there are so many good uh, mana rocks that produce colorless mana.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And I suppose Utopia can have an errata to add colorless now if we really wanted it to. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm thinking thought not Seer might make it in. Okay. Because that seems excellent in the tempo sort of strategies. It's a disruptive creature that hits hard. Mm-hmm. I also quite like Kozlik the Great Distortion as a potential reanimation target. Okay. Reanimator is something I thought about adding to the cube. Now, when you reanimate Kozlik, you don't get to draw the cards. But you also get a very, very good counter engine in play, and this cube has a fairly flat mana curve. Lots of zeros, ones and twos.
0: Right, so in comparison to what we were talking about with the Eldrazi cube, you know, everything costs roughly the same amount of mana.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: so that becomes a very good ability. Um, are you already reanimating anything else in the cube?
1: Uh not yet. I have a, a stack of cards. Not even not even Grizzlebrand? Uh Grizzlebrand probably will never make it in because he'd be too good as a reanimation target. He's just too good, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right now the only reanimator card technically is Goblin Welder to bring back Platinum Angel. No Mindslaver? No Mindslaver. That is one I'd like to put into the cube, but I feel like it might be too good. Hmm. Okay. Usually when you crack it, it just wins the game on the spot, right? Either you burn all of your opponent's resources to make it so they can't build up enough resources to combo again, or you combo and have them kill themselves. Oh, see, that that would be the best. (laughs) I'm not really interested in having one-card combos in the cube, if you will. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, well, how much mana does that cost? Ten? Six, then four.
0: It's not It's not exactly a one-card combo.
1: <laughs> oh, like You can play it on turn two and then crack it on turn three. Or even play it on turn one and then crack it on turn three. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of very, very broken starts in the cube, but that card would just win the game on the spot.
0: It kind of reminds me of a, another one-card artifact combo. You know, with the amount of basic lands that you're playing... There's that one artifact that lets you uh, flip over your, the top of your deck over and over and over again and then deal damage to somebody.
1: Oh yeah, Goblin Charbelcher. Is Charbelcher in the cube? Uh, Goblin Charbelcher got cut early on. Ah. Partially because the decks that wanted to play Charbelcher needed to play three basic lands or so and the academy. And it just you had to do two or three activations of it to kill them, often.
0: Okay, so it's just too slow. Yeah. Because you can't get the redundancy of ritual effects, I guess.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I had a game come up where I didn't have enough cards in my library to kill them. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. Because Belcher is limited by that, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. exiles the cards? Well, no, no. You put them back on the bottom in any order, but to get to my Belcher, I had to draw so many cards and... <laughs> so, so
0: it just took you long enough to get to the Belcher and play it that, you know, you're only hitting for, what, probably like 5 or 8 damage uh- and...
1: Yeah, it was like a 14, and then on the crackback, a steel hit me. Oh, man. Otherwise, I would have charbeltered it, but it's indestructible. <laughs> Two notable exclusions from this cube that I do want to touch on mm-hmm. are Dak Faden and Time Vault. Uh, Dak Faden, we felt, might just be a little bit obnoxious and sort of makes it so that you have no real reason to want to play Platinum Angel or White Steel Colossus. And both of those cards are already bordering on not good enough.
0: Mm, okay. I, I was... You mentioned him, and I was thinking, well, it's it's basically like a free Thada Adele all the time. And that could be really annoying for the other player as well. Just, you know, them having to expend the resources to play something, and then you just take it. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Thada Adele is, in a way, like, you, you, you get to hit them, and you have to pay for the artifact.
1: Yeah. I'm taking a resource directly from them that's in play?
0: Yeah, it's like you made them discard that card, because... It was already in play. Yeah. That's pretty powerful.
1: And Time Vault gets cut.
0: Time Vault just sounds obnoxious.
1: Yeah, and it also makes it that there's about six cards that can't be added to the cube at all. Yeah. Uh, Brawl, Zarek, and Tezzeret the Seeker are in the cube, and they're just two really fun Planeswalkers that do cool things. Mm-hmm. But if you have Time Vault in the cube, they're kind of too good to put in at that point. Yeah. Especially Tezzeret.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they found that out in, in the Magic Online cube, that Time Vault was just too good. And that's in a format where it's a 500 card cube, and you know you're not guaranteed to get the planeswalkers. But this one, the planeswalkers are in the pool every time, and there's more than one of them. <laughs> you can't put ball, take he in.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. That that would be quite bad, and that would definitely lead to a solitaire solitaire uh, kind of format.
1: Exactly. It's also sort of a one card combo, and then it's one card that combos with any number of other cards. Right,
0: and then you've got
1: how many tutor effects? There are seven tutors in the cube, I believe. Yeah. So.
0: And they're are different types too. You know, like Tesser can find anything in the combo that's needed mm-hmm. if you get Tesser out. A Tinker. You've got Tinker. You've got. Uh, do you have a Lightning Tutor? Probably.
1: No, I don't have a Lightning Tutor. Oh. Uh, The Spell Tutors are Demonic, Vampiric, Imperial Seal, uh, Mystical Tutor, and Grim Tutor just got added.
0: Oh, okay. They are the best ones. (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) Well, is there anything else that you want to add about the combo cube? Maybe another reason why somebody might want to build one? Now, yours is all proxied, right? I mean, you don't have, like, all the power cards and and
1: all that. Goodness, no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I, I wouldn't advise anybody to try to make one unless they were, you know, independently wealthy, but it's definitely a fun format, and I, I, I mean, it, it's really cool that you can just, like, break it out with your friend who you're drafting with for FNM, and in between rounds you can draft, and then in between the next round you can actually play a game, and it's, and it's not overly complicated with, like, a full eight-man draft or playing a cube deck against another cube deck, because the games are faster, right?
1: Yeah, in general. Yeah, generally. Most of the time is spent in thinking about how to combo. Yeah. It's also very portable. It's in one, uh, I guess it's an 800-count box. So, you know, you don't have to say, okay, everybody, let's wrangle up the cube decks, put them back in the box, then after the round, find me, and then find, fish your deck out of the box. It's You do only have a limited amount of time between rounds and events.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not like I can break out my three white boxes that contain my 720 card cube and all of the basic lands and <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. you know because it's all double sleeved it takes up twice as amount of space and <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah takes a little bit longer takes a little bit longer to draft <laughs> for, sure.
1: for like 25 dollars in printer ink and paper and sleeves you can build one of these keep it in your backpack
0: see that's that's pretty cool it, it's kind of like a, a little board game that you just take with you Anywhere, you know, it's like, exactly. you know, some people can have, like, a game of Ascension with them, or, or Dominion, or whatever. It's kind of, I, I take it kind of like that, where, you know, it's just this little small contained box that you can just break out whenever you want to, and that's that's fun.
1: Yeah. It's also a chance, if you've never experienced playing with these broken cards, a chance to do it without having to find somebody to play Vintage with, for example.
0: Yeah. There are not a lot of people that play Vintage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Even proxy vintage, it's just daunting. A lot of people don't have interest in it because it's kind of a scary format to ju- jump right into, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. even with full proxy.
0: Well, it's just such a, a niche format that you're just not going to find enough people that are familiar with it, for one.
1: Yeah. The barrier to entry in terms of skill is very high.
0: Yeah. Like, I have no idea what people playing Vintage. I know that certain decks exist, like a Workshop-based deck, or a Dredge-based deck, or a Storm-based deck, but I don't really know what's in them, and I've been playing Magic for you know years and years and years now. So anybody who's you know new to Magic certainly wouldn't know without a great deal of research how to build a deck and, and play the format. For a cube, it's a lot easier to just jump in and try to build something on the fly, and your opponent's just trying to do the same thing.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a lot of fun. And a lot of the cards, a lot of the combos in the cube are fairly straightforward. The only one that's not is really Storm. Everything else, it's like, okay, channel into a fireball or a fatty. Mm-hmm. Or it's stuff like, I'm going to tinker for this Platinum Angel attack you a few times. Mm. Or you can, like, tether at the Seeker to just, like, tether at the Seeker plus time walk, untap, ultimate kill you. Yeah. You need to do things like that that are, you don't have to have a great deal of understanding about how combo decks work.
0: Yeah. I mean, Storm is not the easiest thing to learn, even for, in, say, Legacy. You know, Storm combo is a little difficult to sequence for a lot of players, and you just, for a cube format like this, you kind of have to know what ratio, what types of cards you need in the deck to actually make it run like an engine.
1: Yeah. Of uh, the first eight drafts or so of the cube, my usual drafting partner, Derek, he forced Storm about six out of eight of those and failed horribly every single time, but now he understands how it works by trying and failing. Mm -hmm. And he's very good at drafting Storm now. So (laughs) if you're actually interested in learning how to get into Legacy of Vintage, this is kind of a cool way to get yourself acquainted with some of the play patterns that you'll see in those formats. Okay. Yeah, that's cool.
0: All right. I think that should do it for our main topics. Would you like to have some questions asked of you... I'm gonna begin a series of ten questions inspired by uh, James Lipton at the Inside the Actors Studio and French talk show host Bernard Pivot before him, and it's just a kind of a fun thing that I thought up to go along with the show. I changed the questions so that they're all cube related. Okay. And I mean, you can answer them straight, or you can answer them kind of off the cuff, you know, or or kind of what you think the question is really asking. But uh, I, this should be fun. Alright, hit me. Number one, what is your favorite color in cube? Uh,
1: red, full stop. Red. You're you're the mono-red guy? Not even, though. <laughs> Not even? <laughs> I like the weird red cards. Okay. I like Wildfire. I like Wheel of Fortune. I like I like to do the things in red that aren't burning my opponent's face. I like Goblin Welder and Duretti.
0: Yeah. That, that's the sort of thing I like to do in red a lot. I mean, I like red aggro, but... Those those things are the fun parts of red that a lot of cubes just kind of don't have, you know. And it's hard to build a cube with that in mind. Mm-hmm. That we're we're always having problems with. Well, what are the new best cards coming out in a set? Well, the closest thing to lightning bolt, let's include that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the last few years have been pretty nice to red though.
0: That they have actually. I I really like that Wizards is trying to do more with red in general. You know giving them other things besides burning their opponent's face and giving haste on creatures mm-hmm. so they're they're getting into different play spaces like like Alicia, who is reanimating something you know you're spending some other colors to do it or mm-hmm. but it's still something different or you know all of the different things that they're doing with the the new looting mechanisms those are those
1: are cool i I think the more red kind of melds its color identity with artifacts, the more interesting it gets to me. Yeah. Because for me, red should be all Russian artifacts and getting things out of it.
0: Okay. What is your least favorite color in cube?
1: Uh, Green, and it's also my least favorite color in magic.
0: Why is, why is it your least favorite?
1: Green feels very one-dimensional to me. It's just mana and creatures, honestly. <laughs> there are some cool green cards that I do like. I like Genesis Wave. Oh, that one's a fun one. I like things like that, but... In general, the green cards that are exciting to a lot of people, like Primeval Titan, Mm -hmm. or even most of the Garrix, don't really interest me that much. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to do something cool in magic, and making creatures is not my thing.
0: Yeah, I'm noticing a pattern there. You got a Mind's Desire, and Genesis Wave,
1: and Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Listen, why would you do one thing when you could do everything? When you can do all the things. Enter the Infinite is a fantastic magic
0: card. (laughs) All right, I think we, that kind of answers our third question here. What is it about cube that turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: Uh, it's partially the going over the top and getting to do my favorite things, but also uh, it, it's it's sort of the social aspect of it. When you sit down to cube with a group of friends, mm-hmm. there's a an unwritten contract of we're here to just have fun. Let's let's relax, play with some of our favorite magic cards. There's an air of casualness to it
0: that I like. Yeah, it's a little different than going to your local uh, PPTQ or an SCG circuit event where you're sitting down and you do not want your opponent to win at all costs. Right?
1: Yeah. In cube, you can focus on playing cool, fun games. Yeah. I mean,
0: I find even myself, like, I'll go to Ethanam even, and it's like, well, I don't want to lose. I paid money to get into this thing. You know, and and it's less about having fun with my opponent and more about winning at that point. I'm like, ah, maybe I'd just rather cube tonight.
1: (laughs) Cubing is nice because I can kind of check my competitive spirit at the door and enjoy myself really fully.
0: Yeah, you kind of just leave your whole ego at the door. It's like, well, you know, if it doesn't work out tonight, big deal, we still have fun. My opponent did something cool.
1: <laughs> well it's a good thing I leave my ego at the door when I play against you, Brian, because <laughs> you're really good at beating it up. Oh <laughs> uh,
0: I I try so hard not to uh to really rub it in, but sometimes
1: <laughs> I think you have an eighty percent lifetime win percentage against me, at least. I'm not that good. I can't be that good. Against me at the very oh, least, against, you are against you. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just lucky. Well, obviously.
0: <laughs> 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 all right, all right, all right. Question four: What turns you off about cube? What don't you like?
1: I don't like cubes that are just all the best cards in Magic. Now, for some people, I'm sure that's that's their favorite thing because they just want to play mm-hmm. with the best best decks. They want they want to experience pro tours kind of. Mm-hmm. But I want to experience the kitchen table Magic with a little bit more structuring. Okay. I don't want to play with Warp World because that card's obnoxious, but I want to play with Genesis Wave because that card is sweet. Okay. So it's more about... I don't don't like boring things in cube, I guess, which is sort of an obvious statement, but I feel that if you're not doing something over-the-top in cube, it's not something I'm interested in doing.
0: Okay. So when your opponent goes, like, turn one Goblin Guide, turn two Elite Vanguard, and turn three random equipment, you're not not having a good time?
1: I can have a good time. I, I I love playing good skill intensive games of magic where it's two aggro decks meeting up and mm-hmm. you have to kind of grind them out you have to you know fight for positioning no one to turn the corner i like those things okay but that's just not what cute me I'll, I'll play those games and I, I will enjoy them a lot of the time but those are not the things that i play Cube for
0: you're you're happiest when you're doing something much bigger
1: yeah or having something much bigger done to me
0: oh okay okay that makes sense
1: i mean i am totally cool with my opponent playing a genesis wave for 10 and then Eternal Witnessing it back to put the rest of the deck <laughs> into play. And then casting Maelstrom Wanderer and cascading into nothing twice just to attack with their team. <laughs> I'm fine with this. Okay, okay.
0: Number six. What card or archetype do you love? Be, be more specific here, maybe.
1: Yeah. When it comes to the Rise of the Eldrazi Cube, mm-hmm. I like Raid Bombardment, which is interesting because it goes against everything I just said previously. <laughs> But it's synergistic. Yeah, you get to make this army of spawn tokens that are O1s. Play a Ray Bombardment, all of a sudden, you're attacking them for 10. Yeah. Or 20. Your opponent thinks
0: that they're safe, because they've got their one or two guys that are going to defend against your one or two guys that actually have power and toughness, and then, well, then they're halfway dead.
1: <laughs> um, in the combo cube, I think my favorite is either Storm or... the the Tinker channel deck where you're just putting fatties into play. Uh, The channel fatties into play is a little bit less exciting for me, but the Storm deck, when you get to go off, and if you have to fight through something on your turn especially, those are some of the most fun games of Magic I've ever played.
0: Oh, you know what? I missed number five. I completely passed by it. We'll we'll get to it next. Okay. Uh, After number seven, uh, what card or archetype do you hate? Like, what card do you just not like to play or have played against you?
1: Goblin Guide, I think.
0: Goblin Guide, you just don't like
1: it. Yep, I love Goblin Guide and Constructed. I do enjoy aggro decks in Constructed. But not in queue. Goblin Guide makes it so that you don't get to do your things, they don't get to do their things, because the game's over in four turns. Uh, but you do have to respect it. One of the big ways of beating Mono Red is respecting it. So sometimes, you know, you have three cards left in the pack, do you take the, well, this card kind of gains me some life and does something a little extra? Mm-hmm. Or you take the, the card that somebody else might play. Do you respect Mono Red enough as a deck that someone could draft? I don't like Mono Red because I think it leads to uninteresting games, but I do like that it forces players to respect it. Keep everyone honest, to a degree.
0: Yeah, honesty is good.
1: Next question, be honest. Powered or unpowered? Unpowered, for the most part. Which is odd, because my favorite cube is my combo cube, and it has all the power in it, but when it comes to you know your, your Moto Cube or... Your, even your your cube, Brian. Mm-hmm. I'd rather play without power. Mm-hmm. Power cube for me is fun once or twice a year. You get to play your Black Lotus into your mind twist, and somebody you ruin somebody's day. Yeah. But for the most part, like I said...
0: You have uh, games that aren't really games, you think?
1: Yeah, it's a little too swingy to be something I want to play regularly.
0: Now, some people would say that the games don't usually end up like that. You, you just don't even want the chance. Is, is that what you're coming from
1: yeah they end up like that enough that i'm not interested in it okay like i said it's something i'd love to do once or twice a year because you can get that i just ruined someone's day by mind twisting them that was a cool (laughs) feeling yeah Uh, i'd rather cast golgari grave troll with four creatures in my graveyard in your archetype cube
0: yeah okay uh speaking of other people's cubes number eight what kind of cube other than yours would you like to try
1: um, I really want to try a full eight-person combo cube. One that's, you know, 720 cards or something ridiculous. So I feel like that'd be a fun, interesting experience, and I learn a lot from it for my own combo cube, mm-hmm. I think.
0: You'd get a lot more archetypes that you would have to include in that cube.
1: Yeah, you might, might include, like, a Dredge deck or...
0: Or a Hate Bears
1: deck. Or a Splinter Twin deck. Yeah. Or maybe an annular bloom deck for all we know oh god <laughs> you can you can add all kinds of cool things when it's that big right yeah
0: you could i mean the worrisome part is that you would have to add cards that are only good in certain decks and then either everybody's only forcing one deck around the table or they're just not good in those other decks you know there aren't enough maybe there isn't enough versatility in the cards
1: that could definitely happen yeah yeah which is one reason why it's one something I'd like to try. Um, but something I'd like to try and play more frequently is a monocolor cube. Ooh. Um, for a while, and I want to say 2010, I tinkered with the idea of a mono red cube while minimizing the aspect of burning creatures. Ultimately, there wasn't quite enough stuff yet.
0: Yeah, I was gonna I, I was about to say red seems like one of the weaker versions of a mono colored cube because it's very one-dimensional
1: yeah and it, it was hard to find enough stuff that wasn't in that one dimension but uh a mono blue cube sounds really interesting to me mono white cube would be kind of cool
0: yeah both of those would be very good i
1: think mono black would be cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: and even mono green even though green's not my favorite color i think you could do some cool stuff with it there are just enough things in green that i, I think are interesting like Biorhythm deck maybe i don't know or heartbeat of spring deck that could make a, a mono green cube fun
0: yeah You could even make, like, combat tricks relevant in a cube like that. A lot of cubes just don't have very good combat tricks because everything is so centered around removal that combat tricks are just no good. But a cube that only has green cards, you're not going to get your terrors and swords of plush errors and things like that. You have to kind of rely maybe on using your creatures. That'd be pretty cool. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What kind of cube would you never like to play?
1: I don't think there is any cube I would never like to play. Oh, good answer. <laughs> I'm willing to try every cube at least once, I think. Okay, okay. I tried the legendary cube on Magic Online at least once, and I think that speaks for my willingness to try things. Yeah, the follow-up might
0: be, you know, what cube do you like the least that you have played?
1: <laughs> well, my least favorite cube probably is the vampire cube on Magic Online.
0: Oh! <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're just, you know, sinking those daggers in again, you know? Listen, these views are not represented by the show, they're represented solely by me. No, no, they're represented by the show.
0: I wrote an article about vampires in Cube, and it was was not a good experiment for Wizards of the Coast, I don't think.
1: Fun fact, though, the Rise Cube has a vampire theme
0: to it. Yeah, it works there for some reason. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe the power level is a little different. What do you you think?
1: (laughs) I think maybe that there's less black cards to choose from in Magic's history... In that slice of magic history, rather, as opposed to the entirety of the game.
0: Oh, so maybe it's just that you're forced to have to use vampires. Maybe.
1: Maybe. Or maybe it's that in that slice, that's a cool thing you can do because you're not trying to also play things like zombies and good removal spells.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, so now that we've, you know, kind of poo-pooed on wizards right there, number 10, our, our ultimate question here, finally... If you were invited to Wizards of the Coast to design a card for cube, or or anything else really, but maybe it's for cube, what card would that be?
1: So I talked about how much I like the weird things in red. Yeah. Um, One card that I really liked I've made in the last few years is Dualcaster Mage. Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun card. Yeah, for sure. That one's actually on deck for the combo cube. Ah. The card I want to make, I want to call it like Goblin Mirror Bearer. I think. It's almost a flavorful thing for me, too, because I can just imagine this artwork of a goblin holding up a large, circular mirror, and a blue mage is firing a blast into that mirror, and it's flying back at them. Okay. It's red-red for a 2-2 goblin wizard with flash, and when goblin mirror bearer comes into play, you may change the target of uh, target spell or ability.
0: Or ability?
1: Yes. Oh, that's strong. Now, misdirection's an interesting one. One because you can counter counter spells with it, so so to speak. This card, you cannot. Oh, because it's when it comes into play. Yep, and it's a permanent. Right. So misdirection, you redirect the Force of Will that you're countering to misdirection, and then your misdirection resolves, mm-hmm. and then the Force of Will is targeting a non-existent spell, so it's countered. With so... This card, you can only redirect removal or auras, even.
0: I'm wondering whether maybe you should change that up a little bit so that it can't target the guy that has the mirror. <laughs> Ooh. that's a
1: fun one though that looks cool or sounds cool it's this a card I've thought about for a while and back when people were talking about what's the red version of Snapcaster Mage before we had Young Pyromancer and Abbot of Carol Keith mm-hmm. uh, what is it? and that's one of the cards that I always thought about I think I also thought about adding to it was Split Second Okay. but I feel like that's just too much of my desire for red to beat up on blue <laughs>
0: probably Alright, that, that's an excellent card. I think I would cube with that card. That sounds really cool. So, I guess we'll start closing the show. I want to thank you for being on the show, Pat. Where
1: can people reach you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nerdwalla. Uh, like the rootwalla, Nerdwalla. Okay. Uh, feel free to chat me up about cube. I, I love to talk about it. Uh, chat me up about anything magic-related, honestly. Also, you're a really funny guy. People should follow you. Funny is a strong word for what I do. Uh, snarky. Snarky. If 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 you funny.
0: think snark is funny, then you know follow Pat. He's he's cool. Yeah. Also, yeah, you yeah. you play Pokemon and you tw- you you tweet about random Pokemon things that I have no understanding of. I imagine that's how people that don't play Magic think about all of my Magic tweets.
1: Listen, when I'm talking <laughs> about damage rolls and EV spreads <laughs> and metagame <laughs> predictions based on weather mechanics. I have to imagine you read those and think, "Am I old now?"
0: <laughs> well, I already know I am, but you know, <laughs> that's a little <laughs> separate from <laughs> from from not
1: understanding Pokemon. <laughs> the fact that you call it Pokemon too.
0: What? What is that, it?
1: What do you say? Good. What do you say? I say Pokemon. Okay, Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon's is... correct, I think. But
0: I think Pokemon is correct. Yeah. But
1: everyone I know calls it's it Pokemon. It's Japanese. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the syllables are all really similar. Oh, uh, the pronunciation is supposed to be pretty similar to what I learned in Spanish, so I pronounce Japanese like I do Spanish. <laughs> I'm sure that's never come back to be incorrect before. But I'm I'm sure it's been incorrect before, but nobody notices. You yeah, know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, Um. so you can follow Pat at, at NerdWalla. Um, You can also reach the show on Twitter using @cubersworkshop or myself at TheCubeMiser to discuss any kind of cube talk and to watch out for new podcast episodes. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show, and uh, please join us next time for more Inside the Cubers Workshop.